Welcome to Deeper Walks on the Trail podcast. You are on the trail with father-daughter duo Marcus and Stephanie Warner. I'm Stephanie, and I'll be talking with my father, Dr. Marcus Warner, as we discuss topics that help you stay on the trail to a deeper walk with God. Episode 59. Today, we are talking about attachment-based identity. Hello, father. Hello, daughter. I have another icebreaker courtesy of a listener. Are you ready for this? All right, let's ice break away. <laughs> All right, what kind of pizza do either of you like? <laughs> well, you know what? For years, it was ham and pineapple, the classic Hawaiian stuff. Lately, I've been back to basics. I just want meat. Mm. <laughs> I want pepperoni, sausage, meat. Mm-hmm. Yep. How about you? Yeah, Hawaiian. Yeah. Yeah, ham, ham and pineapple. I, d- I don't like it. I don't like the... Um, the barbecue. Yeah, I, I've 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 encountered that before, and I'm like, whoa, there's barbecue sauce on this instead of tomatoes or whatever. But just like, yeah, ham and pineapple. I have gone through phases where I've added black olives to that mix, but you know, I yeah, like it. There we go. So <laughs> there, the more you know. Well, and obviously, if possible, Chicago deep dish. Um, so yeah, I enjoy it, but I I'm I like a, a standard a standard pizza. I'm boring, I guess. Oh, I remember the first time I went to uh, Gino's East in, uh, on State Street, downtown Chicago, got deep dish pizza. I was like, oh, my Whoa. life has changed. This is amazing. <laughs> so, yeah. That, well, that sounds like the place to do it, too. Yeah. That's awesome. Oh, it is. It's fun time. And we are, we're up in Michigan still as we're recording this, and there's a, a pizza shop we always look forward to, to coming to here. Well. Are we ready to trek back into identity? Yep. We'll leave the leaning tower of pizza behind. Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sorry. Very good. Very I had to get a dad joke in there. Okay. Yes. Well, I suppose I didn't even mention the fact that apparently some people don't like pineapple on pizza. I've heard that. And I don't understand that. I don't but understand that's okay. it either. I don't know why this is controversial. I think it's great. <laughs> At least we are not divided on this issue. No. All right, all right. Identity. Mushrooms so. on the other side. <laughs> <laughs> Man, mother loves mushrooms yes, on her she pizza. Does. All right. The identity trail has two main paths that we'll want to explore. And we are starting down the path that looks at attachment and maturity and brain science and how that all informs our identity. So as we go in, Father. Do you want to actually set us up for the biblical foundations for why we care about this brain science path? Yeah, if you're thinking about you know, why, why don't we just go straight to to what the Bible says is true about us? And it makes sense because most of us tend to think that, uh, I mean, I was taught that all emotions were anchored in beliefs. And there's just enough truth in that, right, that beliefs do play a huge role in a lot of our emotions. Um that I just assumed it was true of all emotions. What I learned was that there are attachment-based emotions as well as belief-based emotions. And if it wasn't for the brain science, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have separated that out. Even though the Bible points us in both directions, I had a filter on the way that I would read the Bible that uh, assumed I was only going to be looking for beliefs as the foundation of, of emotions. So that's all I ever saw. Uh, once you get into it, you begin to see that there are a lot of attachment uh, issues here. You get a story like Hagar and and uh, Isaac and Ishmael and and Hagar and Sarah and Abraham and all the 
attachment dynamics going on there, not just the belief-based dynamics. And you can take that into Cain and Abel and all kinds of things, that there is a a, a level there um, that is core. In fact, uh, you can you can read the Bible with this kind of a, a filter in such a way that everything gets reduced to beliefs. And it just isn't the way it is. You know, like like salvation itself, Jesus describes as an attachment. It is me being grafted into a vine. That's a pretty strong attachment term. Paul uses a similar kind of analogy in Romans 11. It's like we've been grafted into this tree, and so there's an atta- we are now attached. And uh, that what um, God wants for us is he wants us to be bonded to him. And that's why I think the word trust really gets to this idea of trust is this idea of a bond with somebody and love also you can't get uh, away from this idea of uh, of that and so what I, I look at is that there are a lot of terms in the Bible like trust and love and and even this idea of being glued together or grafted together that are pointing us in an attachment direction and it makes sense then that the God of the Bible is also the God who designed the brain, that these things would complement each other. And so sure enough, when you go there, you 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 learn some things because you learn that from a from a brain perspective, there are all kinds of attachment things happening before our beliefs ever get involved. And if we and so it was helpful to me to kind of separate that out and change the filter with which I was reading the Bible. Mm-hmm. On that note, um, I would just also recommend people check out the Relational Skills in the Bible curriculum by Chris Corsi and Amy Brown. That's a, it's a group curriculum that is you, – you read through Bible stories and, and see how Bible characters uh, displayed good relational skills or bad relational skills. But then you also uh, learn more about the 19 relational brain skills that Thrive Today teaches and – yeah, that's a fun and way. And you would know that book well, right? Because you were the main editor on that book, weren't you? Uh, yeah, back in, was that a 2018? All my years. It was a while are, ago. Yeah, it was, it was a while ago, but it was a good book. <laughs> so uh, we learn our identity, or at least our perceived actionable identity, based on our relational experiences, not based on our beliefs. So can you explain more? Why is that? How does that work? So... The origins of all of this material go back to Alan Shore and some books he wrote about with complicated titles like affect regulation and the origin of the self. You or got so. it. <laughs> yeah. So, and then Dr. Wilder took that and actually simplified it in in his uh, book on the the life model. And then what we've tried to do is try to simplify this even further. So, but the idea in a in a nutshell is that my brain learns to think it has to learn to think of myself as a as a being in the world right it's it's not automatically there and so what happens is you can think about this way that the um the brain is like a computer that is constantly growing and changing and developing and so when i'm first born there are hardware systems that are not in place and the hardware that allows me to have a sense of self is not fully developed. In fact, it's barely developed when I am born. And so God does this on purpose. You're like, why would God do that? And it shows you how important that God wants love to be the more foundational thing than truth. 
right? That it is the loving relationships are meant to form our identity at a deeper level than our beliefs. And so I find that fascinating because this this uh, hardware system in my brain ha- can only develop through relational interaction with other people. And that re- inter- relational interaction with other people is like a workout in the gym that causes this hardware in our brain to grow the same way that muscles grow when we work out and rest and work out and rest. And, uh, and, and so God made it this way on purpose. So Satan attacks that. Right. And that's where we get dysregulation, affect dysregulation and the dysregulation, you know, you know, uh, the the messing... affect dysregulation and disorders of the self. There it's you one go. Of his other books. Yeah. That, so you get the, <laughs> the, uh, um, problems, right? Where we get, <laughs> we get problems with our identity. We get problems with our bonding and attachments. We get, um, we learn bad patterns. We learn bad uh, foundations that lead to bad beliefs. Make it easy, much easier to believe wrong things later on, because the hardware didn't grow properly because our relationships were kind of messed up. So I think Satan understands this. So he's not only the father of lies who lies to us, but you look at it, he's a divider. He creates factions. Uh, you know, he, envy and jealousy. You look at the work of the flesh that is listed in Galatians five. You see that that Satan is constantly trying to break apart our attachments. He does not want that kind of bonding to take place. He doesn't want loving attachments within our families. He doesn't want loving attachments with God. So he goes after those things. And uh, on the other hand, God wants them. That's that's his core thing. That's what he is after more than anything. Is he wants um, he wants loving attachment, and then he wants that loving attachment to grow through knowledge and truth and things like that. But those those are what build out the love and build out the attachment. Hence, living from the heart Jesus gave you. Hence, yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So in our prior series on joy and the pain processing pathway, we talked about the brain's identity center, also called the joy or action center. Can you remind us what are some functions of the identity center as we are processing how so yeah, the identity center. Um, we've described this a lot of different ways in a lot of different books. <laughs> the, uh, in in rare leadership, it was called the fast track. And part of what happened there's this four floor elevator called, system called the, the the joy elevator. And at some level, the whole fast track system, the whole joy elevator, is an attachment system. But the driver at the peak of that. Right is our identity center, or it was sometimes called the action center, the captain, the commander, all kinds <laughs> of things. But the idea is that it is the top floor of this elevator. It is the part of my brain that, based on my relational interactions, has formed an understanding of who I am, who my people are, how it's like us to live, what we value, what our perspective on things are. It uh, predisposes us towards a worldview it gives us uh, a moral compass, it gives us values, right? So that's all very important Mm -hmm. stuff, right? That's really foundational, important stuff. So if I'm going to, uh, uh, if I attempt to live my life with that part of my brain messed up, you can see all the problems it's going to cause. My not only is my identity being off, my values will be off, my character will be off, my uh, my my whole perspective on on life is going to be off. And if that is not only is can it be uh, messed up, uh, not only can it be messed up, but even if it's formed in a in a relatively healthy way, if 
I lose access to it because my brain's going into a cramp and the joy elevator is getting stuck partway up and I'm not able to access that part of my brain, then I'm going to have a whole lot of problems as well. And so that's why this is you know so important that God designed us that our true self is our relational self and our true self is, is who we are when we live out of joy and not out of fear. So the, the counter to that is that my false self is always anchored in fear. And my false self is is the um, that part of me that says, I feel like I need to perform or put on a mask or be who you expect me to be, or you won't like me, you won't be happy to see me. And what I want is I want people to be happy to see me. I want people to accept me. Um, I want... Uh, I want that kind of acceptance. So to get it, I, I perform. And that's always fear-based, which is like, if I don't, then I'm not going to get this. And so my fear of being rejected actually drives me to a false self. And that's why my true self is always going to be anchored in joy. And I think God did that on purpose, right? He wants us to, um, to he created us to live out of joy, not out of fear. And mm-hmm. the brain just emphasizes that and makes it crystal clear. Well, and that's one of the reasons why we are starting with the attachment-based identity before we move to the beliefs-based identity, because that is brain function, that the brain functions by building all of this up before we can even think about it in a conscious thought way. And so um, it's it's really important to learn how to develop it and repair it and um, understand it from the right to the left. You know, and if people really want to take the deep dive into the brain science attachment theory, that's where you, you go to life model, you go to thrive today, you go places where they have unpack um, some more of this and some of their materials. You know, what we're trying to do is introduce people to it and help them understand that this really is important. It's worth learning. Okay, but on that note, I think I'm going to just pull directly from one of uh, Dr. Wilder, Wilder's OG yeah. books. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Um, Jim Wilder talks about something fascinating. Shocker. Um, I know he mentions it in the book Living with Men, which is what I'm going to about to read. The complete guide to living with men. The the complete guide to living with men. Correct. Yes. Yes. Um, And also in his book with Michael Hendricks, The Other Half of Church, I think he mentions it there. But that is the the idea of the three faces. So I'm actually I'm just going to read this section. And if you want to pause me and be like, okay, let's let's talk about that. Then feel free feel free. All right. This is for those who have their own book on page 16 (laughs) in the complete guide to living with men. All right. At two to three months of age, a region of the brain, which was not developed at birth, begins its growth. This area called the right prefrontal cortex will become the top of the command center in the brain. It has the last word on control of all the body and mind systems and will grow to become about one-sixth of the adult brain. Let's pause there. He's talking about the identity center. He's talking about the top of the joy elevator, that it's unformed at birth, but that by two to three months of age, it is beginning to be formed. It's beginning to take shape. And as it takes shape, we are. this is getting to the idea of the origin of a self, right? We are beginning to um, develop the capacity to have a self. Mm -hmm. All right. It is the first to know everything from inside or outside the body. But this region is not an it. In fact, these circuits are built as an image of three joyful faces looking at each other, mother, baby, and father. The strongest bond is usually between the mother and child face with the father looking at them both. This relational image of self 
of the self with joyful parents is stored as our identity at the top of the four-level control center of the brain. Very good. So four-level control center of the brain, joy elevator, right hemisphere of the brain, fast track. All that's the same stuff he's saying. And so at the top of this, in our identity center, there are these three faces, which is a really kind of strange thing to think about, right? But what's happening is, is like the, what establishes us with a secure, emotionally stable identity is a baby and a mother gazing into each other's eyes with adoration, right? I love you. You're the most amazing, you know, person ever. What, uh, what just adoration with a father watching this with joy. It's bringing him pleasure. It's bringing him delight that, you know, this is, this is all happening. And so the idea is that this is the way God designed it. And that when this happens, when, you know, mother and baby are bonding and cooing and, and googly eyes with each other and dad is taking delight in the whole thing, that that the brain is learning this is normal. And the brain is learning, I am the source of delight. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I am a source of delight in this world. And that core emotional anchor is going to predispose us to later in life what we want to what we're going to believe about ourselves. So just change one of those things, right? If mommy's looking at the baby and there's no joy, mommy's disgusted with baby, mommy's unhappy, you know, mommy's or maybe mommy is ignoring the baby and is angry and fighting at daddy all the time. And so the faces that are formed in our brains is here's mommy and daddy are fighting all of the time and this must be about me. I must be a horrible, you know, in other words it leads to beliefs. But what gets formed in my mind is now going to be a dysfunctional self-view because God's design and intent of adoring mom, delighting dad, you know, happy baby, all in there together is going to get distorted. When it gets distorted, it lays the foundation for a lifetime of repair. Mm -hmm. Do you want me to continue? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Our primary identity at the apex of the neurological control structure of the brain is a relational one. For the moment, we will call this relational identity they. If they are oriented by love, we can bear all things, endure all things, and return to joy. Joy is our strength. If they are oriented to fear, then our identity readily becomes unstable and disorganized. Isn't it like God to design a brain that only knows itself in relationship and then only when that relationship is one of love? It is love that rejoices in knowing us that makes us know ourselves. This entire region is developed without words because the baby has no vocabulary. Its growth is nearly half over by the time he can say mama. Yeah, he puts it well, right? And that is God values love so highly that our core identity, and this is why we're starting with attachment, right? Our core identity is more shaped by who we love than it is by what we believe. But I will say this, that what happens at this attachment level will strongly predispose us towards what we end up believing. Um, It is fascinating, though, that God wired us this way, right? That, That he wanted strong, secure attachment to be the foundation of life, and not just a solid worldview and theology. Mm -hmm. And I think I grew up, again, being taught that theology was the foundation of of the Christian faith. 
And when theology is the foundation, there's nothing wrong with theology. I mean, it's good to have good theology, but um, attachment is supposed to be the foundation. And in the same way, it's like God, if those things get out of perspective, that's where you end up with Christians in enemy mode with each other. Uh, you know, we just got an email from Dr. Wilder yesterday mm-hmm. about this, right? Where the um, there's a, a poll recently that said that a majority of Christians on the on I think it was like 76 percent of liberal Christians uh, saw loving your enemy as um, being soft on yeah, injustice. As, as, yes, right? as being complicit with injustice. Complicit, that was and the word. and seventy eight percent of conservative Christians saw loving your enemy as being um, soft towards immorality. Right? Yes. It's like there's it, another c word, but yes, yes. Yeah. So, so yeah. but this is the idea. Is one of the things that happens. It, so I haven't seen the study. Haven't looked into the whole thing. But it gets this idea that that when theology is the foundational thing, then what happens is I excuse myself from love. I don't have to love my enemies. Now, that doesn't mean I don't take stands and I don't uh, won't form partnerships. So there are certain things that I won't do, but that's different than not even talking to people, you know, not even being willing to have a conversation, not being civil, not being kind. And I, I go back to this uh, uh, whole idea that at the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus uh, uses this example that there were like today's culture is scattered with all of these identity groups, and we tend to act like that's a new thing, but that's exactly what Jesus is addressing in the Sermon on the Mount. You've got this identity group of Pharisees, and they see themselves a certain way. You know, we are the ones who, you know, take Moses seriously, and we are the, the ones who are focused on this. And so, therefore, we won't even talk to you tax collectors and sinners. We won't even talk to you Samaritans. We're certainly not talking to you Romans. And so what happens is that and Jesus, so he starts at the basics. He says, you won't even greet each other. And that always struck me as odd when I was a kid reading that, And but now I get it. It's like there are people who literally won't talk to each other because of the people group that they belong to. And that was going on in Jesus' day. So when you talk about loving your enemies, he's like, loving your enemies starts with, let's greet one another. Right. Well, and I'm so glad you went there because I think, you know, as as I was reading through that article that Dr. Wilder sent, um, I was just wondering, how are we defining what loving your enemy looks like in that survey? How are people understanding that so many people can't even agree on what love looks like? What does it What does it mean to love your enemy? <laughs> like, and so that's a really solid example where Jesus said, "Let's start basic. Say hi." Yeah, you know, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, and then he talks about doing good. He says, "Is what credit is it to you if you do good to the people who love you? Like, if you know you're going to do good to somebody and you know they're going to be good back to you, is it what's the big deal there?" He said, but if you're going to do good to somebody who has been bad to you, and you are doing good to somebody who, from whom you expect bad in the future, now he said, now that is acting like your heavenly father. And so if you just start with those two basics, greet them and be good to them, you know, and it kind of grows out from there. Mm-hmm. Do you want to talk more about the idea of unstable identity and stable identity, or do you want to save that for next episode? Uh, if we got time, I can address it now for a little bit. Sure. Uh, so a a stable identity, based on what we've been talking about so far, a stable identity comes from this idea of having these three faces that are all joyful. And so if I am raised in such a way that I have a an inner sense that I am a delight that people find me delightful. I'm not thinking that way, but the faces that I see in my head t- 
tell me that, then I am going to have a certain level of emotional stability in place before I ever get to my beliefs. If that gets messed up, right? If one of those faces is off, if two of those faces are off, I am going to have a very hard time believing good things about myself, right? It is setting me up for an unstable, emotionally unstable life to come. And this is why repair Mm -hmm. has to address more than just my beliefs. Repair has to go back to relearning how to form attachments, getting practice in forming some new attachments so my brain can learn, uh, you know, a new set of uh, faces and, and a different perspective on thing. And I can't just talk myself into that. I've got to experience it relationally. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think that's really important for hope, whether you are somebody who's thinking, yeah, no, I did not get that growing up, or whether you're a parent who's thinking, oh, shoot, my, yeah, exactly. my <laughs> children, I, I know that things might not have gone that way. Like there is hope and there is... Uh, yeah, and, and right now, uh, honestly, the the Thrive training is the only system I'm aware of that tackles this head on, mm-hmm. and uh, and gives people a way to rebuild. I, I know people who've gone through like track one of Thrive and said, "Oh, this is really basic," you know. I think, and it, for them, it is because their brain was already wired pretty strongly. But for people whose brains were not wired properly, you need the kind of tools and skills that they go through in Thrive Track One. To begin teaching your brain how to quiet in a place where somebody's happy to be with you, how to be happy with somebody, you know, who's happy to see you, how to share eye smiles with someone, how, you know, there are really basic things that if you didn't get them at these early age, the good news is they can be learned later in life and it can make a difference. It's part of the repair process that takes place. But I just, you know, put a plug in for our partner ministry here. They're the only ones I know who are tackling this head on. Yeah. Thrive Today with Chris and Jen Corsi. Yep. Chris and Jen Corsi. They're fabulous. That's why I wrote three books with him. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So I'm actually, I'm going to take a little time here to pull another question in from one of our listeners. This listener says, I have been listening to the podcast of On the Trail, and it seems you have many resources available to help with relational struggles. I need biblical-based counsel, but I don't know what resources to start with. Can someone there give me direction as to what resources you offer to plug into? I would like to find biblical counseling where I live, but they either are not taking more clients or they don't take Medicare slash Blue Cross. Yeah, that's a common issue, isn't it? There's a lot of people looking for help, and there's just not enough out there. In fact, one of the things we realize is there's never going to be enough biblical counselors. There's never going to be enough prayer ministers. There's never going to be enough of all this. We've got to do something about the culture in the church, but that's a bigger topic for another day. <laughs> the um, when um, a couple of things. First of all, looking for a relational community because that's so important. I uh, would encourage uh, checking out Journey Groups. Journey Groups is an online uh, community, and it sounds like, ah, oh, yeah, but it's not in person. We've had amazing testimonies of people who have felt isolated, like they didn't have anybody who got connected to a Journey Group and and actually experienced some real joyful bonding mm-hmm. uh, through that. That's one resource. Uh, well, and Journey Groups is is now it's, housed it, at it, Alive and Well. It's run by the Ministry Alive and Well, but you can get to it through the Deeper Walk website, and we'll connect you over okay. there to them. The uh, um, you can go to under the More tab on the Deeper Walk site. We have a referral network where you can go and look to see if there it might be somebody uh, that you can connect to. More and more people are doing this 
online too, where you can have uh, that kind of prayer ministry and counseling online. Uh, and then book resource-wise, whatever uh, you mentioned relational skills in the Bible, that's sort of a small group um, study approach. But there, uh, we've you know I've written a couple of books with Chris, so we got the Four Habits series, and it's the Four Habits of Joy-Filled People, the Four Habits of Raising Joy-Filled Kids, the Four Habits of Joy-Filled Marriages. Um, a lesser-known book is the Spirit-Filled Home, and the Spirit-Filled Home book actually I think has. Um, the strongest collection of, of of simple relational skills to help people get uh, started on uh, building out, um, you know, building up their relational skill sets. Spirit-filled home is awesome. It's, I mean, it has emotional healing. It has spiritual warfare. It has family and relation, you know, parenting and marriage and everything. Like, yeah, it's highly underrated. <laughs> yeah, we don't promote it that much, honestly, but it's, uh, I, I, I have a whole uh, weekend uh, marriage retreat that I've done over 20 times. It's largely based on that book. Mm -hmm. That's really good. Yes. I also, I want to just give out a quick shout out that Thrive Today, Chris Corsi actually launched their own podcast uh, oh. recently that has like 10 minute, I think, you know, where Chris just talks about relational skills and stories and things. So yeah, just we love Thrive Today. We love Chris and Jen Corsi and highly encourage you to check them out if you're wanting more relational skills training. So we're at the end of the episode. Any closing thoughts? Well, again, we're going to be, as we talk about attachment throughout his, this, so there's a reason we're starting with attachment. And then we're going to go to beliefs. And then we're going to add like a C, right? Attachment is an A, beliefs is a B. So it makes sense there should be a C after <laughs> that, right? And it, but it's like, collectively as a as a community and that is the role that my community plays in helping to reinforce identity so what we're laying out here is to helping people understand why attachment is so important in this issue and the next one we're going to talk a little bit more about how attachment actually how this actually works to create identity the three faces thing is an important uh start to that um but there's more and uh i i'm hoping that people will begin to understand that uh that God loves us. He meant for us to have joy at the core of who we are. He meant for us to know that we're loved. And he wants that to be the solid part of the identity that he has with us. So um, it may be a journey. And for some of us, it will be a journey, but it is definitely a journey that's worth it to begin transforming from a fear-based person into a joy-based person. Hallelujah. All right. Hey, everybody, thank you for joining us on the trail today. Deeper Walk exists to make heart-focused discipleship the norm for Christians everywhere. If you'd like to support this cause, you can become a Deeper Walk trailblazer with your monthly donation of $25 or more. And if you want to keep going deeper with us on your walk with God, please subscribe to the On the Trail podcast, leave a review, and share with your friends. Thanks again. We'll see you back next week.